Welcome to What's Your Story? I was born a Generation X. I've lived an incredible life with people and places, and that's why I'm known as the Wise Guy. And I'm the Rebel. I'm a millennial. I've traveled around the world twice. I'm a hard-drinking, wise-cracking jarhead, and I'm an untamed loudmouth. And the two of us together make Wise Guy and the Rebel. Thanks for listening to What's Your Story with Wise Guy and the Rebel. We are the only podcast dedicated to the extraordinary lives of ordinary people and the stories they have to tell. Today's podcast is entitled, A Lifetime Amongst the Stars. It's a Trekkie's tale of fandom and Star Trek conventions. You know, Star Trek conventions really hold a special place for me. Uh, and, and we've chosen to do Star Trek as our first podcast because Rebel and I were both Trek fans, if not Trekkies. Trekkers? Trekkies? How do they say that? <laughs> I don't know. One of, of the Trek. One of the Trek. And, and so I know from my side of things, I have a lot of great memories about going to Star Trek conventions. And it's, it's a lot more than just being at the Star Trek convention. It's the camaraderie of being with a good friend and sharing that with somebody. Uh, and there's, there's just so much to say about, e- even with the show, I guess. I remember being front and center for uh, Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd been, what, ni- uh, 88? I think it was 87, 89. And uh, I remember, you know, seeing that and saying, wow, look at the graphics. Look at the. 87, <laughs> I think 80, you were right, 87 is when it started. Yeah. Um, you know, coming from the uh, the old school, my Trek fanship goes all the way back to, I remember being a kid, and uh, at, it was on at 3 o'clock in the summertime, and my dad was a mechanic and uh, during the day, and he worked a second shift doing, uh, he was a welder, and he would stop working at 3 o'clock and come in, and I would stop what I was doing, and we'd watch the original series Star Trek, of course, in syndication, long, long after the original run. Uh, but, uh, so, I mean, I've got so many fond memories that Star Trek has played a big part of my life. And I, I can honestly say curtailed who I am from the moral or the morality side of the show. I've always said that Star Trek to me, it, it's the most moral, you know, goodness based show. It that wrestles with the, mor- with the morality of our, our time. Like whenever every single episode is. Basically, it's either politics or economics or it. And how do you treat it morally? Like if we could go through space and we come across people who have a certain culture, how do you handle that? It's like assuming that you've already gone through and had those things happen in your in your advanced society and history. Um, You're right. It is. I've always made that made the case that Star Trek is a is a morality play at its core. And that's what it it should be. Should say if we had no wants, what would we do? We probably would go and just try to be friends with everybody. You know what I mean? That's kind <laughs> of is that kind of where it is? Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, right. And now we'd like to bring in, you know, the the person who knows more than anybody I know about Star Trek, uh, and that is Heath Harper of Warp Drive Toys. He's a, a good friend of mine. He and I have shared a lot of experiences uh, over the years uh, with Star Trek ourselves, and uh, and he has agreed to come on and do a podcast with us today. And so, uh, without further ado, uh, let's welcome Heath Harper. And Heath Harper, what's your story? Was that my cue? <laughs> so, my name is Heath Harper, um, and I am a Trekkie. Uh, I remember my first experience with Star Trek goes all the way back to when I was in grade school. Um, I would come home after school and... Uh, uh, watch Gilligan's Island, and right after that was Star Trek, and uh, it was uh, obviously a syndication of the original series. But uh, you know, nobody was home yet, and this was my opportunity to watch television, and I just fell in love with the original series of Star Trek. Um, and that was really kind of what started me down the path of of uh, my love for the show. And from there, it just kind of took off. I'd become a collector, and I think after that, eventually led to why I've 
opened my own toy store. Um, I don't think Warp Drive Toys would be in existence today if I didn't have this, you know, love uh, of Star Trek. And for me, it wasn't just about <laughs> ships and and green half naked Orion girls. You know, it was uh, it was more about you know I was the fat kid on the block growing up. You know, I was uh, I got bullied in school and and I got um, treated badly by a lot of people and I found this show as a as a relief from that that it you know didn't matter who you were or or what you were if you were a part of Star Trek you were accepted and um, you know it it gave you a release uh, it was a release from reality of the the, the punishment of cruel people, you know, and that's that's what made it so important for me. I know I know exactly how you feel, Heath. My uh, my situation mirrors yours so closely. I was also a fat kid, uh, so to speak. I was rotund, and um, I uh, I got bullied pretty mercilessly when I was in elementary and high school. Uh, I kind of just thought that's how how it went. Uh, Star Trek definitely did become an escape. It almost let me know. It's almost like it was letting me know it was okay. Like things are going to be okay because one day things are going to change. Well, and people are different, right? I think right. I think that's the that's even what Heath had said there is that you know it doesn't matter who you are. You know, on Trek you relate to that there are people who they they walk funny because they were an alien, but it bled over to hey, this is you know I, I walk funny or I look funny or I talk funny. And uh, so, I, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Without being too on the nose, yeah, basically, like it. That's at it, uh, on its surface. That's what it is, and it, it, it's so much more. It's so much more. Uh, even people that are maybe, maybe were jocks. I know, uh, could you know, they could have liked Star Trek too, or or found it later in life, or it just, it just seems that for some reason that stereotype of the bullied fat kid liking Star Trek, it, it, it's a stereotype for a reason, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, having said that, uh, w- what about conventions? Uh, what about conventions themselves? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I've been to a couple. You, I've I've uh, gone full fledged into graduating. I, what I would say is going from Star Trek conventions to then all sorts of comic cons and what they. Well, I mean, that's like a brand name, but all sorts of conventions in general for other kind of sci-fi, geek, comic book, um, literature. TV, movies, everything. It's kind of more con, cons now are so almost, I would say almost mainstream that there is something to be said about this, how specific it all, when, when it all started with Star Trek. Star Trek was the first con. People just got together in uh, like hotel uh, convention centers and stuff like that and just had a con. And then the, the star, like William Shatner started to notice and he went to one. And then all of a sudden it was just, that's what the thing was, the Star Trek convention. And not to make it about money, but there's a revenue stream there. You can revisit, you know, things from your past, and also so. And then slowly but surely, other things started to drip into it. Comic books, um, all the artwork, uh, Dungeons and Dragons people, things like that. Um, I remember my first uh, convention was at the Plaza Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, because we lived in Henderson when I was a kid, and I met Michael Dorn, and I was I was just old enough. To, I think I couldn't have been more than seven. And I just remember how much he towered over me, and and I looked at him, and I said, "You're not Worf." And then he, you know, got his voice. He's like, he goes, "I am a Klingon," and I just kind of lit up and was like, "Oh my God, you're Worf! <laughs> you are Worf!" <laughs> uh, this is the uh, that uh, the books that uh, Leonard Nimoy put out. I am Spock. I am not Spock. Is that <laughs> yeah. He is Worf. He is yeah. Worf. <laughs> uh, well, and. I myself, my uh, my first experience was in Chicago, uh, and and again, I it wasn't uh, wasn't something I, I really sought after. It was an opportunity that I could go with Heath Harper, as a matter of fact, and I'm sure it was him who who you know enticed me to go or encouraged me to go. And uh, th- again, they they meant a lot to me. But it was you know for me, you know I'm definitely a Trek fan. 
not as as much and probably more than others um but for me it's i think it's really and it's probably my life in general i'm really more of a, a fan of friendship uh, just a fan of camaraderie and and uh, discussion and these sort of things and uh i, I recall the the first convention i went to was uh, again in chicago but but the thing for me was I was never much of a traveler at that time. Uh, I didn't go many places, especially by myself. Unfamiliar with, you know, traveling, especially to big cities by myself. And I remember th the worst part, you know, I'm going here I am going to Chicago, never really been in big cities. And uh, I remember by the time I reached the, the convention center, which at that time was the Weston Inn, uh, Weston Airport location, I think they called it. I remember I, when I pulled into the parking lot of that place, it was, it, it, that was a little bit of relief, but I remember walking in a side door. It wasn't even the official door. I was just so stressed out by then. I didn't care where I went in this place. <laughs> I just wanted in. And, uh, and I remember I opened that door, and there was this huge hallway, a very wide, very, very long hallway. And there were all these people dressed up like Star Trek people. Uh, and, and amongst those people, just you know, by the luck of the draw, there was my friend Heath standing, you know, I don't know, probably 40 yards away in this really long hallway. And I just remember this wave of relief and and just this kind of elation that not only was my friend there, but all of these people were my friend, right? These were, we were all in the same boat. We all had a love of this thing. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was as though a big weight was lifted from me. And, and, you know, and it really, uh, it really went on that weekend to, to really demonstrate how wonderful the people that go to Star Trek are. They are, they are the most uh, friendly and uh, giving sort of people. You know, anyone in costume, at any given time, you can pull aside. Right. There's accessibility to that. It's almost like you don't do this in your you, – you, having such a love for this, this art – that is out in the world, and then you're going somewhere to celebrate it and be immersed in it. And you can, like you said, anybody that's wearing a costume at any moment, you could walk up to them, tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, can I take a look at this? And they're like, yeah, here. And then they can even go into explaining how they made it, uh, what they did, how they altered it, uh, how long it took them. You, you spark up conversations. So it's not even sparked up. It's almost like you're going there to say, I'm here to talk with anybody who is willing about Star Trek. It's almost expected. It's expected, right? yeah. And, and, and even want. shy, even shy people, you can tell someone's like, "It's okay, we're here." It's it's like the safest place to express your feelings about <laughs> any given art form. It's what a other Star art Trek form? safe zone? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what kind? What other art? What other art form is there that you can go and immerse yourself to that level? Almost, almost nothing. And uh, where we have. Star Trek and then other other forms of media like in super, the superhero genre, comic books, art. Uh, it, it's it's the only it's the only it's almost like a transcendent of art itself. Like you become part of of the art of the art. It's a it's past media. It's the human interaction is what's beautiful. Well, and it, and it's a it's an established um, art form. To to go on what you're saying there, it's the, the person who is normally not very outgoing. They have this opportunity to become this character who is like them, but becomes outgoing. They can they can for a moment feel you know like like they can leave that the old shell behind and, and become this other person. And they do. They they really try to take on you know there there are definitely certain people who go into the role. They they act the role at the convention. And again, I think it's very important for them to, for for a moment, be someone outside of themselves. That that's important to them. And 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 again, they yeah, they're very. You can sit in the hallways, and like you said, they you can grab anybody at any time and say, "Man, I love what you did here. How'd you make that costume?" And they will sit down and talk to you for as long as you're willing to talk. Uh, so yeah, it's a very giving environment when it comes to that. Whatever the context of uh, who they are outside and who they are inside. That all they become they become somebody to be reckoned with in any capacity. They're, I've seen the greatest board costumes where they've taken p machines apart like a piece of a blender, and it's they've got the full arm cover and the laser, and it's 
it's some, something to be behold. It is, yeah. <laughs> it is and, amazing. And there's some dollars involved in some of these people's costumes, dollars and time. Right? Some of them go, you know, some of them are very uh, just, you know, basic one shirt. And that was me. I, I didn't go all in. I, I had just the shirt, you know, maybe the captain's uh, red shirt or, uh, you know, something like that. But uh, I know a lot of people invest a lot of time and a lot of money into it going to a convention. And thus, the conventions start way before the the opening day, right? The, a convention starts in the anticipation of it coming up, the costume creation, the uh, you know the the time and the excitement of uh, as I said, even for me, the trip there was a piece of this whole you know journey. What hotel you're going to stay at? Keith, can you can you give us a rundown? Can you tell us what your experiences with conventions have been? I remember my very first Vegas convention that I went to. Um, this was before my back surgery when I could walk. Um, it was an incredible event. I mean, I remember it being, uh, <laughs> ironically enough, it was uh, you know it was after uh, Next Generation come out. The whole the whole theme of Star Trek experience wrapped around the convention that was there and i literally stumbled into it on a trip to vegas uh that my mom and i had went on and uh we saw this thing about the star trek experience and i went over to see it and there was actually a convention going on at the same time so i was able to attend one day of that convention and then got to go through the star trek experience that they had there at the hilton and when I walked up to that door, I remember that that massive Starfleet emblem that was on the outside of the Hilton. Uh, it was just like, you know, wow. You know, that was the only thing I explained. And then you walk in there and you see that huge 30-foot USS Enterprise hanging from the ceiling that was actually the experience. And then the convention was at another part of it. So the whole hotel was themed like a space station. And the moment you walked into that door, you felt like you were walking onto uh, the set of of Star Trek. And uh, bam, I was hooked at that moment. I mean, I'm telling you what, it was the most wonderful thing I had experienced up to that point. And, you know, Next Generation was fresh out on TV. The Star Trek experience was was uh, themed around the next generation, and the, the place was just absolutely amazing. So, Heath, you, you know you've just opened the complete door to the stereotyping of a Star Trek fan by having gone to Las Vegas with your mom, right? Oof. <laughs> Does your mom speak Klingon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was... I don't remember what the occasion was. I wanted to say it was my 21st or maybe 22nd birthday. And she had bought me a plane ticket to go to Vegas um, to celebrate my 21st birthday. Because dad was always gone. So he never got to go anywhere. And um, so we had went out to Vegas to celebrate my birthday. Because it was right, right there around September, and that's when the conventions always were. So, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I, I'm fully aware of the whole, the whole uh, uh, going to a, a convention with your mother thing. But uh, the good news is, I left her at the Circus Circus. I walked from the Circus Circus to the Hilton, which, you know, in 110 degrees, uh, two miles is quite a journey just to get to it. I couldn't imagine. My mother did not. What's funny is she hated Star Trek. And, well, it, mostly because it, my father was so enamored with it. And I'm sure she she hates it a little bit. But it's funny because she's so close to it. She was so close to it for so long. Whenever, like, Star Trek, uh, one of the movies would be on and she'd be like, uh, or somebody would say something about Star Trek, she goes, oh, I know that. This, this, this. Like, just peripherally, like, absorbed so much Star Trek knowledge that, you know, if I ever took her to a, a convention, she probably would fit right in. Exactly. So what, what might have been, you know, even for, for us, uh, what about you, Rebel? What, what did you expect your first Star Trek convention? Uh, I didn't ask. Did you dress up for your 
first in that? No, I didn't. I was in, uh, I was, like I said, seven years old or so. But I remember, you know what? This, that kind of awakens a memory. I, I really wanted a Geordie visor so badly. I saw somebody who had one, and it must have been custom made. I, I had, I don't imagine. I, I mean, I bet they make them now, but oh, sure. I kind of, uh, I think I'm gonna go do some Amazon shopping after this. <laughs> was there a reason for the visor? I uh, just loved. I really loved Jordy uh, when I was a kid. Um, he was. Uh, it. I don't even know why I liked him. I just really liked Lavar Burton. You I identified think with some aspect of probably him the cadence of his voice or the fact that he was in engineering, and then. I kind of ended up doing a job like that later in life. I was <laughs> as a, a combat engineer. It's different. It's you were the Jordy of <laughs> combat engineers. <laughs> kind of. I wasn't not. No, I didn't make it look as good. But yeah, you know. And I, I could see. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe children or young people who have severe, some kind of severe eye problems. Again, that was the thing about Star Trek. It was the future. They could fix some of your ailments or problems that I'm sure people related to and. And it, was, it became a great value to give hope, I suppose, that someday their problem might be fixed. You know, I never saw him as handicapped, even though there were specific episodes where he lamented not having his sight. And I just always thought of him as having that. That was just part of his life. Part, And, you know, that's kind of crazy that it I is. never saw him as a handicapped person. Well, as a matter of fact, they basically portrayed him as as increased ability, right? I mean, mm -hmm. his, his visor was a was an aid in many episodes of being able to see spectrums that that you know they could not they, they that was the thing about star trek right it they they always um uh, they let people be be who they are and and, and uh it, it play it plays like this like the way like an away team goes somewhere nobody's i mean yes of course they have the command structure but they're always like who is best suited to help me in this situation? Let me use your skills. Let yeah, me use your strengths. Everybody has a strength, and and in Jordy's case, his strength was what is considered a weakness in in you know society today. Is, is how you could probably look at that. So so that's uh so for me too. Again, I my first convention, I did not dress up, and again, I I wasn't uh, I wasn't, and I'm still not one to really uh, go full on with a costume. <laughs> I'm not saying I wouldn't wear one. The opportunity really uh, has never uh, presented itself, or, or I probably just haven't taken the opportunity. Now I know you've dressed up oh, I love for it. other things. Right? Oh yeah, I did. I one of my one of my first ones in Texas uh, was a Space City Con in Houston, um, and I, I my favorite thing was I put my my you know red command uniform from TNG, and I hadn't I hadn't promoted myself in a long time. Actually, I, I this is weird. I find I I have so much reverence for Star Trek that I didn't go and just put on. Captain Pips, you know, I, I kept myself like a lieutenant commander. Like I, <laughs> I, I started as an ensign, and I kind of slowly over the years have added rank when I felt like you know I had earned it, it, like yeah. I, when I deserved it. And my favorite thing to do is to go and mess with the 501st guys from Star Wars, the all the stormtrooper legion. I love going over there and taking pictures. Of, and it, there's some good natured ribbing, but for the, or getting choked by Chewie, I, that was so funny. A, a, a Chewbacca, a really tall man who was doing a. Uh, I guess he's in in with those guys. Came over and started choking me, and it was it's just a good time. Did he do the? Oh yeah, <laughs> I can't do a good one. I, that's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, very cool. Very cool. So many different types of people go to conventions. Heath, what kind of expectations did you have going into a convention, and maybe how how did that? Were they changed? Were they confirmed? Well, my expectation was was to walk in a room full of. Uh, pocket protectors and glasses with tape in between the lenses. Um, I, literally, that's what I thought a Trekkie was when I walked in there. Um, what I found was people just like me. Every day, ordinary people. I think uh, I was working at maybe Carter Lumber at the time. Um, they were just fans of the show. And... Uh, uh, what was interesting about it was there was a whole generation of people my age, but then there was like a whole generation of people, well, when I say my age, I mean 21, 22 years old at that time. But then there was a whole generation of people that were there that's my age now, in your 50s. So, um, and and that was kind of the big separation is you had the classic people and then you had the next generation people. There was like no in between. 
but everybody was was really nice uh, that I remember. Um, there wasn't as many stars that would come back then. It was a lot of mostly vendors and um, a few talk panels uh, and only maybe, you know, five stars or something that would show up for the convention. It wasn't nothing like it is today. And it's not just the people that you meet there. It's also you're there to see special special guest appearances. I have uh, gotten to meet several of the cast members of the show. Uh, one of the first, uh, like I said, Michael Thorne, um, John Delancey, who famously played Q. Um, just that's a that's a lifetime performance. If I, ever, I I remember standing in line to get his autograph, and I had drawn a picture, and the stick figures were, you know. Not the greatest, but they had the they had the the facial features that were prominent for Picard. I had his, you know, baldness and his nose. And John Delancey even said, "Did you draw this?" I said, "Yes, I did. I I drew this. This is you." That's and you were how old at this time? Oh, I was probably eight, eight oh, or nine. Okay. And I and I oh, could have been seven. I, I don't know. It's it's in there. I was in early childhood. And uh, he said, "Did you draw this?" I said, "Yeah, I didn't draw the hat though. My dad had to draw the Robin Hood hat for me from the episode Cupid." When he, when he, you know, Worf famously says, "I am not a merry man," you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and he he was laughing and he's like, "Wow, you really captured my essence. Is my nose really that big?" And I kind of all of his jokes were very witty, and I didn't get them at the time, but I was just kind of starstruck to see Q standing in front of me, and he signed his his name, and I I looked at it, and he said, "Can you read that?" I said, "No, I can't read cursive." So he wrote "read" underneath it with two exclamation marks. He's like, "You gotta learn how to read, kid." And I didn't realize that he was having fun. He was having such a good time with it. Uh, Maria Satirnis, I've, I've met her. Uh, she's so lovely in person. She really is warm. Uh, I would say motherly, but I was a kid, so she's just really good with, um, at least from my experience, I just had a great time. Wow, what, what a great story about your, your first introduction. Heath, what do you recall of the first people that you had ever seen on stage as a panel? So... My first time of actually doing that was in Chicago. Um, I didn't attend the, I had only been to Vegas once at that point. I didn't attend any panels uh, until I started doing the Chicago scene. And then the very first person I saw was um, George Takei and Walter Koenig. Uh, they were together on stage. This was uh, obviously before he came out. Um, but, uh, they were together on stage and I remember that they were the funniest two guys I had ever listened to. Um, I, I really sat there and enjoyed listening to what they had to say. You know, they joked about the show. They joked about, you know, their parts on the show and what they did. Um, and that was something to me that really kind of made it special, um, at that particular event. Um, the first person I ever got my autograph for was William Shatner. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. Uh, and honestly, he, uh, he was a little more abrasive than I thought that he would be. But as the more years went on that I continued to see him, I just kind of learned that that was a part of his personality that was, He's a show person, and he he puts on performances when he gets up there, um, and that's just kind of the person that you know. You 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 shouldn't have any expectations when you go watch William Shatner because he will change it every single time. But uh, I remember when I went in there to the to, to see him, um, I was nervous for my first time, and. Uh, uh, at, I had never actually met an actor before at that point. And uh, once it was all done, I was really came walking away from the table thinking these guys put their pants on the same way I do. You know, they're just, they're just doing entertainment for us. And so I never really kind of went nuts over actors. Um, I just simply had an appreciation for what they do. And so that, that's a great introduction for us to run this uh, clip that we have that's from an actual panel uh, with uh, Brent Spiner, Gates McFadden, and LeVar Burton. Uh, and and this, is, uh, this is what you could expect to hear at a convention. And, you know, I think another thing about what you're going to hear here is the, 
at these conventions, you get this inside information. I, you know, if you're a, an aspiring uh, screenwriter, or uh, you know, if your your interest in is in acting, th these are the neat things you get. Is you you hear how the productions are done. You you hear how they're made. Right. You hear how the flow of things go. Because I think we all have in our heads that this process is some mysterious thing that only superhumans could ever understand. And and once you really see how it works, or you you it's like any it, other job, right? Exactly, it is. I, I mean, and there there are obviously people more inept to you know to to remember dialogue and and, and to and to be this or that uh, you know that an actor needs to be. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it, it's just a job that they get up and go do, and they have to practice and they have to rehearse and. Uh, you know, it sounds like a great gig. But yeah, it humanizes your your heroes and and things like that to where to the point where you're like, wow, th they are just like me. But at the same time, you you're still gonna have more reverence for creating for be for being a creator. Yeah. You know, being being that artist that they are, and to see that they stumble around and find the same things in their day to day job the same way we would in trying to figure out, you know, something on a computer or, or dealing with a customer or or on a job site. I, you might have that initial moment of discovery, that sure. and they have the same exact thing, but because it's something that we love to to, to see that that process is done, it's it's almost just as magical as watching the show. Exactly. So let's let's go to the clip. Uh, well, I tell you what, I, let, let me just tell you one quick story because uh, we we had a the first time we read through the script, uh, we were at the um, at, at the Sheraton in in. Los Angeles. Do you remember that? Except for me. <laughs> oh, no, that's when Ben Vereen was playing uh, your part. That was before uh, you were cast. No. Uh, we, we did a, a, you might remember this when I tell you. There was a, a, a big round table in a conference room at the Sheraton Hotel, and we were all there, and uh, Gene says, all right, let's read. And um, Patrick started, and space. You know, <laughs> he got to a line where he said, uh, Mr. Data, and, and I went, wait, wait, I'm sorry, is, is it Data? I, I assumed it was Data. <laughs> the character's Data? And Gene said, from now on, whoever says it first, that's the way it's pronounced. <laughs> and, uh, and that happened from then on. All of the, the alien cultures that we, we met, whoever said it first, that's the way it was pronounced. And, um, and that I, was actually true about the way one handled props or did anything, isn't it? Right. Yeah, that's amazing. And so I, I think I was data because Patrick was British and he was the first one to say it. And uh, I think it has uh, actually influenced the way that word is said today. In the culture. In the culture, yeah, because I, I knew it as data. That's what I always said. Yeah. There's a little, that's a full malt, very they interesting say, story. Yeah. in France. I know that. So I haven't been to so many conventions. You know, does, uh, does anyone really stand out in our minds as, as being, you know, just, just really above and beyond uh, they're all great they're all funny yeah. they all have their their technique and their way of going about these conventions um so uh, rebel do you have anything in specific oh wise guy like do i i have i tell you what my f most memorable it was actually not that long ago it was just a couple years ago i was at um a comic-con in houston and i was dressed i was dressed as the character deathstroke from <laughs> Arrow, right? Yeah, yeah from, Arrow. Arrow, from Arrow, from that, yeah, that iteration of, of uh, the Green Arrow. And I had made the costume myself. I spent a lot of time doing it. Um, paint, I hand-painted it. I actually had to modify a bunch of um, uh, other parts. Like, I had bought a mask, but I didn't like it. So we get to the convention, and it had been late announced late that William Shatner was going to be joining the convention. And I I lined up immediately. Like, it was the first everybody was everybody was waiting. It was uh, I was probably like the third or fourth person in line uh, after the doors opened because when we had heard people talking about it, yeah, William Shatner's here. William Shatner's here. So that's the first place I went. Now, it's I think it it makes the memory so much richer because I was not at a Star Trek convention. I was not there to see, you know, uh, a special guest. Yes, and it be that that guy, that special guest. And uh, I walked into the room because they had him partitioned off, 
and and the first thing he said, he goes, "Wow, I really like your outfit," and I just kind of started. I'm sure you. I was yeah. Related, right? I started crying a little bit. Like it's, and I know I don't. Want, it sounds kind of funny to somebody that doesn't have the same love for Star Trek I do, but you know when Captain Kirk tells you he likes your outfit, and I was just almost speechless. I shook his hand. He kind of put his hand on my shoulder. We took a, a awesome photograph together. And he looks, and he's actually laughing in the picture because he's just kind of like, well, you know, the first couple people that had gone in, you know, they were dressed in Star Trek uh, outfits, and then here comes a guy with orange armor and an eye patch, and uh, and a you know a, an axe and a bunch of hand grenades on you his belt. You do an eye patch well, though. Yeah. <laughs> Very rakish in an eye patch. But <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good story. Heath, can you can you tell us about your Somebody who you know really had a an outstanding performance, and maybe time and again uh, provides a, an outstanding performance. So I remember uh, Robert Picardo; he's a hollow doctor from Voyager, as being one of the more standout characters that I remember seeing at any of the conventions. He seemed very appreciative for the fans. He performed for them. He would sing on stage. Um, he really went out of his way to tell jokes and and thank the fans for really making uh, the show what it was. Um, and, and I think even to today, uh, when I see him on stage, he is he's one of my favorites. I always try to try to make a point to see. Um, you know, there's just there's no. There's probably no other character on the stage that I like more than than Robert Ricardo, um, just for the simple fact of of how he treats everybody. Other than that, so what uh, what's going on? What's going on during a convention? Like we need to talk about, you know, what are the activities that are happening, you know, during and around the events that are going on through the day. So one of the things that maybe people don't realize about the Vegas conventions is there is many different things that happen at one time. Um, you cannot possibly see everything there is to see there. You almost have to kind of pick and choose what you would like to do that day. Um, because it's not just about panels up there. They've got the vendor room and the vendor room takes a long time to go through. They've got autograph sessions going on. They've got photo op sessions going on. They now have these new dual photo op sessions and group photo op sessions. Um, and then now they started incorporating museums into the conventions. There's about three or four different rooms that are actually museum rooms set up that you can now tour. Um, some of them are art museums. Some of them are uh, the original series Bridge Museum. Uh, this last one that I attended was there was a discovery museum in it. Um, uh, there was a Picard museum, and the show's not even out yet, uh, in which they have model ships and things from the show, uh, props. They have face painting there now. Um, what's really interesting about walking down the hallway, uh, the halls are lined with these original. Uh, artist work prints that are like on these massive canvases that Roddenberry had done up back in the 60s. And so you see this artwork as you're going down the hallway and they they uh, take you on an evolution from the 60s all the way up to uh, the motion picture uh, when Roddenberry was involved in making the movies. They now have Quark's Bar. They recreated Quark's Bar from the Star Trek experience that they now have uh, that you can go to as entertainment, <clears throat> which is in a whole other room. And that's that's a great social event that people can go to, sit around and have a few drinks. They can get something to eat. And there's also another stage in there. They can sit and watch uh, uh, events on that stage. Um so there's there is so much more to do now at a convention that there there was say uh, six seven years ago. Uh, you know six seven years ago 
went to the panels, you went to autograph sessions, and you went to the vendor room. That was it. There wasn't nothing else. Um, and this, they have turned this experience into something of, they're trying to make it more immersive because the Star Trek experience is no longer around and everybody wants that back. So Creation Entertainment, who runs the Star Trek conventions, they do everything in their power to to try to make it more immersive when you go there. You know, something you said there really strikes my memory about what, and this is just the oddity that I am, I guess you'd say, one of the my favorite things about going to a convention, it's not so much the panels, it's not the vendor room. Uh, of course, I love the people, but it's the, they will do these uh, 15 minute, half hour segments of the best clips of like ships going into war. Anything, that, that they'll do a segment on just one topic and that's stuff you can't get somewhere else, right? You can't get that, and I guess unless you are a complete Trek head and you have every film and you've done this segment, uh, you know. You've edited it yourself in your home. Every film, and I'm sure they're out there, right? Everybody that comes to your house, you're like, hold on, I got a DVD, I got to put it for you really right. quick. <laughs> we're going to get into some Trek before we get started. Uh, so, I mean, to me, I, I just love that. I love that you get this exclusive look at, at certain things from from the, the films themselves. It's not, you know, so much it's not about the actors themselves. It's these clips of, it might be, you know, Picard saying engage, you know, 27 times. Uh, or the, it, have you seen the one where they make him sing Let It Snow? Or make it, he's, it's, it's the song, uh, it's the song Let It, Let it Snow, but they have taken clips of, of, of Picard, to, and they, and but he says make it so instead of let it snow. I see, I see. No, I haven't seen that. I think I have to look out. Or like the shut up Wesley montage, which is always it's always good. <laughs> shut, <laughs> up, shut up, Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the sort of thing that's going on during the day. So what about the evening hours? I I've never been a part of any evening events. Uh, Rebel, maybe you have. What's what's your take on what what would go on? You know, after hours, or or do people you know really just mill around in the hallways and converse and so forth? Well, there's always there's always somebody's got a party back at the hotel, but it, um, some of the some of the places I've been, they'll they'll section off after hours portions of the convention center itself. There'll be karaoke cocktail hour. Uh, the most memorable one for me, it wasn't even a Star Trek convention. It was uh it was at uh, Space City Con, and I had I drank beers with Manu Bennett, who plays Deathstroke from the Arrow wow. TV show, and uh, very you know he 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 is gruff, but once I offered him a beer, he was like, yeah hey, yeah okay, I'll have a few beers with you. I'll <laughs> it, you know, like one beer turned into four, and then he was like, "I really have to go. I have to go to San Antonio," and uh, which is actually kind of funny story. He went to San Antonio and uh, got into a fist fight with a fan because he put his arm around his girlfriend. The guy bucked up to him, but Manu Bennett is like a, a, a legit athlete, and he just knocked the guy down. Like it was hilarious. Keith, what are your experiences in after-hour get-togethers? Is there a lot going on? Is that something you've partaken in? So outside of the convention, there's also events that take place at night uh, to keep people engaged in the convention. And these are kind of outside forums separate from panels and things like that, where they now have like, uh, for example, Klingon karaoke. Um, they have uh, Ferengi uh, entertainment hour. Um, they have uh, these dance parties that go on and take place um and then at the end of the convention to wrap up the entire event they have the free to everybody that attends is a, a show called the rat pack and it's basically uh, people that are entertainers from the show uh, they've been doing this now for i'm wanting to say almost seven or eight years they started doing this um, it's made up mostly of your, of your secondary characters and, uh, they sing and they dance and they do comic relief. Um, one of the founders of the Rat Pack, um, actually knew the original Rat Pack that was from Las Vegas, James Darren. He was part of that group. Um, he wasn't actually in the show, but he was with them as they were performing 
Um, so that's kind of how they evolved the Rat Pack for the Star Trek genre. And it's an absolutely wonderful event. Uh, it's very entertaining. It's all original music. Uh, all the songs are based on Star Trek. They make fun of each other. Um, every once in a while, they have a guest performer that shows up. They had uh, Nana Visitor from Deep Space Nine. who played uh, Major Kara. She actually was at the last one I was at, and she sang and performed. And James Darren shows up occasionally, and he will sing. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it's it's absolutely a wonderful way to to finalize the whole convention. Great, great commentary about uh, those events. We appreciate all that. Oh yeah. What about the uh, what about the costs of today's conventions? Uh, I haven't been to one in, in several Oof. years now, and and I I can only assume that Las Vegas would be you know a lot higher dollar price uh, than than what i've known in chicago i mean it's it's a universally known joke like they even made um a joke about it on that big bang theory where they all sit around with all of their computers and they're all trying to purchase comic-con tickets at the exact same time and they never get it because it's how <laughs> in demand they are as as comic-cons grow as uh, star trek conventions grow and become more accessible and have more content to them of course it's going to attract more people and the more people that you can get to come, the more money you can make, essentially. And and that's where this is the sore subject part of it. It's like the uh, the 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 thing that you just have to deal with well, as, yeah, a, as a fan. As a like, fan, you might say, "Geez, my fanship, my my viewership, isn't that enough?" Uh, right. But I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that it's a measure of a true fan. It's not to say it, there's. I'm sure there's people that can quote Star Trek backwards and forwards that would never pay the money to go to a con, and it's. It's just if you want to go there and you want to have that experience, it's it's. I I think sometimes it's just too high. Like, uh, and I, I anybody knows you know to, when you go to the the, the panelist tables and they're, they, you know the meet and greets or the pictures, it, they have signs out now that you know, since the advent of the cell phone that has the camera that's good takes good enough pictures, they'll have a sign that says, "Please do not take pictures. If you want a photo, it'll be you know sixty. I think I paid, I think I paid. O almost a hundred dollars to have my picture taken with William Shatner, and to me, hands down, no, it was totally worth it. Um, but others who, I mean, and it's a question of access. You know, it's almost like you have to rank yourself, and you look at you look at the room, and you're like, oh, he's a twenty dollar guy. Yeah, that's a that's a fifty dollar uh, guy. Uh, you know what I mean? You look at who's in line <laughs> for Shatner versus, uh, like I said, O'Brien. Uh, I forget who, what's the character's name, O'Brien. Uh, I forget his actual name. I just always call him O'Brien. Like. <laughs> And it was like in Does Con no Air. <laughs> you see him in Con Air, like, hey, O'Brien. There's there's O'Brien in that show. I don't know him as anything else. Heath, what is, what is your what what is current dollar cost again? Knowing you, I believe you went uh, in 2019. Uh, what have you experienced as cost? Well, when I first started going to the Vegas convention, you could get in general admission, and this is four days for around two hundred dollars. Um. The general admission price now for a five-day convention is right around, I think, uh, $350 now for five days. And that's general admission. You sit where you can sit. You, uh, there's no extra goodies that come with it or anything. You can buy upgrade tickets all the way up to gold if you're lucky enough to get gold because that's kind of a reoccurring ticket every year. So it's very hard to get one. Those are now around $1,200 for a gold ticket for five days. But the the additional cost you would have would obviously be uh, um, autographs, um, which an average autograph is right around 40 or $50. Some of them can get up as high as 200 depending on the actor, because they're, maybe they're they don't come to every convention. They only maybe come every five years or so. Um, photo ops can get pretty expensive depending on who it is. I've been trying to get Patrick Stewart's uh, photo op for 20 years. I haven't been able to get it uh, just because it's so rare. And when he does show up, he don't do them. Uh, he stopped doing photo ops. So I do have his autograph, though. And I did pay out the rear to get it. But 
he was probably one of the more expensive autographs I've ever gotten outside of uh, uh, Whoopi Goldberg. She was expensive. Keith, so of all times, of everything you've ever seen, you know, what do you hold dearest about conventions? Uh, somebody you might have seen, something that happened at a convention. Uh, like the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail of conventions. Yeah, I've got one. Uh, of all the people that we lost in Star Trek over the years that I've been going, there's one instance of someone um, that I saw that I hold very dear. And it was the convention that actually you and I attended. Uh, Leonard Nimoy was at. And he uh, extended an invite to this special after-hours event uh, to see his photography. Um, and that that particular convention meant uh, a lot to me uh, because I think uh, it gave a really up-close personal look at the life of one of my favorite characters that was on the original series. Um, I was able to share that experience with you. Um, and I even still have the eight by 10 photograph that, that, uh, Leonard Nimoy handed out as we were leaving the theater. Um, that, that really, uh, meant a lot to me on that one. Uh, and another event that took place with Leonard Nimoy was, um, his retirement that, uh, happened in Las Vegas and, um, he was there. Uh, he, they had just filmed uh, Star Trek, the new Star Trek movie, 2009. Uh, he was there. The guy that played young Spock was there. And uh, the guy that played the new Spock was there. So there was like three generations of Spocks were on stage. And uh, there was a toast. That was done to uh, Leonard Nimoy uh, to toast his retirement. And it wasn't long after um, that. Uh, that was the last time that I saw him at a convention before he passed away. So um, that was that was probably the most memorable events of one character that uh, that I had. I totally agree. Uh, you know, that, that first convention, uh, Leonard Nimoy, uh, as Heath said, he, he was so giving. Uh, he, he didn't have to do what he did. And uh, it was just, it was very intimate. It was just a very intimate setting, and it was something unexpected. And again, it was for my first time to see William Shatner. I got both of their signatures at that time. So around. jealous. Bow down before. Bow. Uh and uh, so, yeah, I, I totally agree. It was a very special uh, time for me as well, and, and especially being my first convention. So I, I, I totally appreciate uh, you taking me to that and, and the uh, friendship and camaraderie through all of these conventions that, that we've had together. Who else gets a first convention like that? Exactly. It's, it, you're like going to be a heroin addict. You never get – you're chasing that first high. <laughs> never to have it again, I'm sure. Well, unfortunately, Leonard Nimoy has gone. Yeah. So I'd just like to say thank you, Heath Harper, for you know your participation in our podcast. I, I think it's been very valuable to our audience to have someone who's who's been to so many conventions. I would say expert. Thank you. Yeah, he he knows more than anybody I know on the topic. I mean, I know I I think I think I know a lot, and uh, you know when you meet somebody you're superior, you just have to like you said bow down. <laughs> and so again, thank you very much for joining. Well, I have one more important topic. When I was started going to the conventions in Las Vegas, I was able to walk. And um, I always found it um, I don't know, not annoying, but you know, there would be these people on scooters and things like that that would um, they would always be in the front of the line of an autograph or you know, it seemed like they were always trying to run you over in the hallways. Um, and I, and I kind of took that for, uh, I guess, I don't know, granted or what, but 
um, since I had my back surgery, I can't walk long distance anymore. And I'm one of those people on those scooters. Um, and I've gained a new perspective and appreciation for what people go through at a convention that have to deal with scooters. You know, you're, you always feel like you're being looked at a different way. You always feel that people are preying on you because they put you in the front of the line, even though you request not to be. Um, and it's really hard not to run over people when they walk right in front of you that they think that you can stop on a dime. And I was one of those arrogant people. Um, so one of, one thing that I've learned now is um, I, I've kind of gained a camaraderie with those kind of people that are on scooters and a new uh, a new appreciation for what they go through. And uh, I take their photographs when they're in costume and, and I try to encourage other people to do the same and, um, you know, try to help promote that they are people too, uh, that they have extreme struggles that they're facing. They may not be visible on the outside, but on the inside, they certainly have struggles. And uh, I, I think I've tried to become a, uh, um, a crusader in, in spreading that message for those of us who are on scooters at a convention or how difficult it is to be able to enjoy yourself um, and not feel uh, left out. Thanks, Heath, for that perspective. That's honestly that to, to go in before and after seeing what it's like to have uh, that disability and having to go from being more ambulatory into having to o overcome an obstacle, basically. Yeah, I, I think we all tend to forget that, you know, how, how precious our health and our mobility is and you know for for someone to have gone from one side to the other you know it really speaks to us that that we really need to appreciate our you know our, our what we abilities. have i mean yeah just the the action of walking around a convention like something that simple that y you can take for granted and it and can become a challenge i mean and that's also it feeds into the love like would would you get still get up get on that scooter and go to the convention center and stand in line or sit in line you know and and that's and that's the love i agree well that's all for today's uh, what's your story uh, we'd like to thank again heath harper warpdrivetoys.com for sharing his story we'd like to thank anchor for putting on our podcast and putting it everywhere that podcasts can be listened to apple spotify google we'd like to thank focus right for the, the small interface box that uh, we're using for the podcast today at a $150 cost. It's just been an amazing tool for anyone who's wanting to podcast. I would suggest getting at least the uh, two-input interface that works so well. And thanks to the software people who created Reaper. Uh, that's the uh, interface that we're mm -hmm. using today. So thanks, thank you to them for all their work in creating such a fantastic uh audio tool i'd like to thank elijah craig for being with us on this fine day single barrel bourbon from the hills of kentucky and if you've listened to this in its entirety and you've uh, liked what you've heard uh the best thing you can do is share it with a friend tell somebody else about us uh, tell somebody your story tell somebody your story maybe come tell us your story and for what's your story this is the wise guy and this is the rebel Thank you.